We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Rick and Courtney, can we hear it up for them? I have missed, if you, you, you have, have never heard, if you've never heard Rick play that guitar, man, he can pick that guitar. And I, I'm not, he will melt the face off you with his rock and roll band. Love you, Rick. I'm glad to see you, man. Excellent. You're at Redemption Church, if you didn't know it. If you wandered into the room, that's where we are. If you wandered onto the internet and found us, we're Redemption Church in Plano, Texas. My name is Chris Fluitt, and I am happy to share the Word of God with you today. I believe that God has knowledge for us today. And I learned from a cartoon growing up. There was a cartoon that every time you watched it, it would tell me, and knowing is half the battle. Anybody know what that is? Anybody? G.I. Joe, American hero. Yes, that was their catchphrase. And knowing, you can ridicule that, Elizabeth, but that was a godly show for me. (laughs) Knowing is half the battle. I'm telling you, a large portion of our battles in life are just in knowing. And we've been talking about a spiritual warfare, an unseen battle. And that's the hard part about knowledge. You don't know what you don't know. And so we've been trying to uh, work on our knowing, on our knowledge. We're in the fourth week of this series, Unseen Battle. I want to take us back to our scripture memory. It is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And this verse has told us so much uh, over the past few weeks. We've dug so much out of it. Let's read it out loud together. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This one verse of scripture has taught us so much, and we're going to dig in maybe to our last week of this series next week. I meant for it to be this week, but this sermon just kind of mushroomed it just went like and so i'm like oh my gosh we got to cut this thing in half so that's that's what we got today uh we have learned that our struggle is not with the natural over the past few weeks but with the spiritual a force behind the natural we have learned that in order to fight a spiritual batter battle we need training on how to use spiritual weapons and we have learned that the battle is actually fought not on earth but in heavenly realms, like that scripture said, that we battle spiritual forces in heavenly realms. And through Jesus Christ, we have access to God's throne room. We are in a spiritual war, so we ought to know what spiritual warfare is. Here's one more time how we define it. Spiritual warfare is a conflict in the unseen angelic realm that is affecting the physical, visible, and realm. It's a conflict in an unseen angelic realm, and we see the effects of it in the physical, visible realm. Today, I want to talk to you about the enemy, and I want to be really careful about this, this, verse, this message because we're going to be talking about the bad guy. We're going to be talking about our adversary who is the source of the battle. I remember being a really young pastor many years ago when I was young. Uh, and there was a lady, I'm going to tell you all a story real quick. It's not my notes, but it's an entertaining story nonetheless. Marshall, Marshall is there for this story. 
Lupita and Scott were here for this story. Anyway, I, I, had, I can't even tell you all there is to, about this story. It's that kind of crazy. It's just out there a little bit. Anyway, there was this lady called me up, and her name was Mary. None of y'all know her. And she's like, there are demons in my house. You've got to come pray. And I'm like, okay, I, you know what? We believe in demons, and we don't mind in praying. We absolutely do not mind praying. We believe we have authority over all demonic forces. I just have one rule. I have one rule. I have one rule. Here's the one rule. We give no glory to the devil. And so when we come over to your house, I don't want to hear all the, the wonderful stories that feature the devil. I don't want to hear about his victories. I don't want to hear about how he's been keeping you up at night. I don't want to hear how he shook a table. I don't want to hear how he appeared to you in some form. No, we're going to give all glory to God. And the rest of that story just can't even be told because that lady was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. There are some people that are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and we love them, and we still try to share Jesus with them. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to talk today about the source of the battle, but we are not going to glorify the source of the battle. Y'all with me on that? Uh, We actually, I really believe he's got zero victories to speak of, and uh, he's got zero intelligence, and the the enemy that we're fighting, he he really has nothing to brag about, so we shan't, shan't uh, give him any glory. Do you like mysteries? Anybody like mysteries? Anybody like mysteries? All right. We're going to be talking about a mystery today. Our adversary is mysterious. Scripture tells us about our enemy because our enemy is not the focus of God's truth. All right? That's not why Scripture tells us about our enemy. However, Scripture does reveal that our enemy, knowledge about our enemy to help us understand how God has chosen to fight the unseen battle. So scripture talks about your enemy not to give him any glory, but talks about your enemy to give you knowledge on how to fight this unseen battle. Everybody following me so far on that? Very good. Our enemy is literally called a mystery in scripture. It's so good. It's so good. You're writing your sermon. You come, I'm going to have this heading, and then there's a scripture that supports your heading. It's supposed to be the opposite of that. You're supposed to read your Bible and then find your heading. So that's how that works, everybody. Everybody, look at this verse with me. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Everybody, if I have your attention, please say amen. amen. Let's look at this scripture. We're pulling up Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 through 8. You don't have it up there. Everybody pull out your phones because I want to prove that this scripture is there. This would be a great time for you to, to get that scripture up. You aren't live? We aren't going live? Okay. They're making all kinds of weird stuff. I mean, sometimes the devil's in the tech booth, guys. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Pull that verse, this chapter up for me. We're going to be looking at verse 7 and 8. Go ahead, interactive. We're using our phones, everybody. Verse 7. This is the NIV version. For the secret power of lawlessness, everyone said secret, Secret. is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way, verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Everyone say secret. Secret. The word for secret is the Greek word mysterion. Everyone say mysterion. mysterion. 
some months back, we covered a great Connect Group series concerning this word in Scripture. It's one of my favorite Greek words, mysterion. It is uh, believed that Alexander the Great coined the word mysterion, and it means secret battle plans. It is where we get the English word mystery. So there is a secret battle plan of lawlessness. Following me. The mysterious power of your enemy is not going to be at work. It says that it is already at work. Tonight we're going to investigate scripture to better understand this mystery. The more you study this passage of scripture in 2 Thessalonians, the more you realize it's talking about Satan coming as the Antichrist. All right. To do this, to to study more about the enemy, we're going to need to go back in history. In fact, we need to go back before history started. We have to go back before humanity. We have to go back before the first day of creation where God said, let there be light. So this is way past last week. I know we have trouble getting past last week. We have to go way back. We have to go back to a place that is before most of what is written about in scripture. We're going to go back to a place that is before 99% of your Bible tonight, a place before time itself. God is the only uncreated being in the universe. Do you agree with that? Good. The only one that's uncreated. Everything else was created by him. And so that must include angels. You agree with that? We actually don't have a verse that says, and God created the angels. So we have to assume, since God's the only uncreated being, that he must have created the angels. It's not too hard of a leap. Everybody so far making that leap with me. Good. When God is described in scripture, he is usually described as a bright, shining light. Has anybody ever picked that up in scripture? Here's a couple of examples if we have those. First John chapter 1 verse 5 says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. All right. So God is light and complete light. James chapter 1 verse 17, every good and give perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights. He's the father of lights that scripture says. There are many other examples. Here's one very popular one in Exodus chapter 33. Moses asked to see God's glory. God, I wanted to see your glory. And when uh, God passes over him later, we see Moses coming down from meeting uh, God and his face shined with a brightness so bright that the people could barely look on it. it. It tells us this, that God is so bright that being in his, pregnant, in his presence causes you to reflect that light. And God was somebody nobody could look directly at lest they die. But also they had trouble looking directly at anybody who had been in God's presence because they too shined with light. It's all because our God is light. You following that? So God is a bright light. And his angels were created with a similar nature, if you will, a similar brightness. When we see angels described in the Bible, these angels of light are created after God's beauty, his splendor, and brightness. When God Not everything God creates has this decadence and this gorgeousness and this this 
amazing brightness to it, right? Like, we've been to Irving. We know it's not all places in the world are that bright and shining, right? We've known some people that are a little, little, little dark and a little not so bright, if you will. But the angels, every angel created is this bright creature. It seems there was one angel that was actually shinier than all the other angels. Somebody say shiny. In fact, his very name means the shiny one. You may recognize the name Lucifer. Very good. Isaiah chapter 14 tells us about him. But we're going to jump to Ezekiel chapter 28 to talk about him. Ezekiel 28. We're going to begin at verse 12. Um, We do have these verses. Ezekiel 28. Excellent. Verse 12. This is good. All right. So we're talking about angels, specifically the shiny one named Lucifer. Okay. So Ezekiel 28 verse 12. You were the seal of perfection. Let's start here with this line. You were here. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Verse 13. You were in where? Eden, the garden of God. Somebody said heaven, because that's what you think, right? You would think it would say heaven. You were in heaven, but it says you were in Eden. Okay, reading the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis, luzuli, turquoise. And beryl, your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Verse 14, you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. So the angel is a beautiful creation. You agree? And God spared no beautiful material in adorning this special angel. This special angel, they spared no material in making the shiny one. He is anointed guardian cherub, and he is ordained by God himself. Something you need to know about the Lord, when he gives you a gift, he doesn't take it away. When he gives you a calling, he does not take it away. When he gives you an ordination, God does not ever take it away. Do you understand that? That's good news for some of us because we've walked away from the Lord, but you've never walked away from your calling. You've never walked away from his gifts, and you've never walked away from his blessings, and they are still available to you today. So I want you to understand this. Everything it describes about this shiny one, he still has. He's not lost a bit of it. Reading on, looking back at verse 13, where is this shiny one? Remember, he's in the garden of God. It is the garden of Eden. Now, when we read about the garden of Eden, our mind goes back to the first three chapters of Genesis. Correct. Whenever we read about the garden of Eden, Our mind goes back to that place. But I want to present to you a radical idea, and y'all just hear me out on it, okay? Okay? Excellent. 
I will always tell you when I don't have 100% scriptural proof on something, but I've got a really interesting idea to present in scripture, and that is now. Okay, so you're with me. I, I present to you the idea of a garden of Eden before the first three chapters in Genesis. A garden of Eden before. Everyone say a garden of Eden before. Here is why I feel this is a solid idea. Here it is. This verse says the shiny one is in the garden and then describes a serpent. Y'all with me? Does it describe a serpent? In chapter, in verse 13, pull it up. Is it up? Ezekiel chapter 28, 13. Does it describe a serpent? No, it describes a cherub. It describes that he's got onyx and jasper, turquoise, all the beautiful mountings. So I want you to get this picture that it's describing Eden. It's describing Lucifer being there, but not as a serpent, but as something else. You follow me so far? It describes a beautiful angel. But in Genesis, it's, we do never see a beautiful angel in the Garden of Eden. We see that serpent. Everybody following me here. It's almost like scripture might be pointing out a subtle difference. This verse describes this shiny angel in the Garden of Eden on the holy mount of God. Hold on. In the first three chapters of Genesis, does anybody remember any mountains? We hear a lot about four rivers. <laughs> we hear about some kinds of trees that are really important. No one ever tells us about mountains. But this one, this Garden of Eden, features an angel. And this Garden of Eden features the Mount of God. Also, this Garden of Eden is called the Garden of God, where you might call the first garden Adam's Garden Things for you to consider, and you're more than welcome to disagree with me. Tomorrow, I might disagree with myself, so that's just how my life goes. Ezekiel 28 and 15, back here. Thank you for your patience, everyone. You were blameless, speaking of Lucifer still, speaking of the shiny one, in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. This creation was made with God's beauty. Because God creates things wonderfully. You were fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible says. This creation was perfect and blameless. Okay. This creation was made in heaven and purposed for heaven. Everything God put into his creation was of the highest caliber and value. We see this in the angel. We see this in the creation. And yet, everyone said, and yet. Yes. Verse 16. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence. No, wait. I think everything went wrong because God didn't put his best in it. That's not what it says. God put his absolute best in it and still the worst happened. Watch. Filled with violence and you sinned. We're talking about Lucifer. Before Adam sinned, Lucifer sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. It's almost like Lucifer is kicked out of the garden. 
a pre-garden. Verse 17, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. Your heart became proud, why? On account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Because of your splendor. Because of your beauty. Remind me, where did this beauty come from? It came from God. Where did the splendor come from? It come, came from God. So like, so wonderfully, he turns on God. That's the story. This creature is an object lesson for us. It is possible to be so blessed that you forget the one who blessed you. You can be so beautiful that you forget the one who clothed you in his beauty. You can be so powerful that you forget the one who empowered you. My goodness, there's some Christians that need to hear that. You hear me, church, Christians that are judgmental on people and they throw all kinds of mud on people. Those are people that have forgotten the grace. Those are people that have forgotten the love. Those are people that forgot except that the love of Jesus covers the multitude of my sins, I would be exactly where they are. Anybody agree with that? Say amen. Amen. Mm. In Isaiah 14, we are told that Lucifer, the shiny one, chose to act in his own will rather than God's will. We're going to read that real quick. I want you to pay attention. Five times in two verses, Satan, the Lucifer, the shiny one, says these words, I will typifying that it's about his will, not God's will. Verse 13, Isaiah 14. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Verse 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. What was his focus? His own... No, his focus was not Jesus, Dad. His focus was his own will. I want to tell you, when we are focused on our own will, it's not going to be nice. It's not going to be pretty. We are like Lucifer in the fact that we too have been given a free will. Listen, you might not have all the mountings and the beautiful onyx and all that beautiful glory that's shiny. But you've been given something that he was absolutely given. He was given a free will, and so were you. The ability to decide how you will live. He was given that, and you were given that also. So his story is a beware story. Beware of the trap of your own splendor. Somebody say those words with me. Beware of the trap of your own splendor. Look out, shiny one, with the new car and the new job. I'm so glad you got the new car and the new job. Look out, shiny one, with the good looks and the personality. Look out, shiny one, enjoying a measure of success. Look out. We can feel a little shiny in our life, can't we? In fact, a lot of people are just seeking to look shiny. They will take Not one, not two, not three. They will take 25 pictures to get the perfect shiny picture to post on Instagram. 
So they get all those shiny hearts and all those likes, right? And they're desperate to be shiny. Look out for that. Beware of the trap of your own splendor. I want to tell you one thing that God can't do. Personally, I've come to this conclusion. One thing the all-powerful God can't do. God, you're all-powerful, but I want to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you something that you can't do ever. You can't ever do it. Something you're never going to be able to do, God. You listen to me. God, you can never bless me so much that I will no longer need you. God, you can never give me such a great victory that I no longer need you to fight for me. God, you can never provide for me so generously that I don't need your mercy tomorrow. God, you can never lift me so high that I no longer need to be in your hand. Because God, I need you. God, I need you. This is the attitude that the shiny one did not have. The truth is, God, we will always need you. God, you can't bless me beyond my need for you. Because deep cries out to deep. The depth of my need and desire for you is equal to the depth of your provision and love. I'm going to say that one more time. There is a depth in you that needs and desires a meaningful life with God. And it is only equal to one thing. You will not find the equalness of this on social media. You cannot find the equal worth of this desire on Amazon, especially not on Wish. Can't find it. It is only to be found in the equality of his depth of provision, his depth of love. That's the only place. And that's why scripture tells us that deep cries out to deep. Lucifer, the shiny one, was so entranced by his own splendor. I imagine his favorite thing was a mirror. What do you think? He thought he should be allowed because of his position, because of his extra shininess, I want you to think about angels. Angels, right? Pretty beautiful, right? But when Lucifer walked by, the angels probably went, gosh, he's so shiny. I want you to think that way. They, they thought that about him. He's the shiny one. Oh, gosh. I mean, on my best day, I'll never look like Lucifer. These are angels here. <laughs> he was so entranced by his own beauty. He thought he should be allowed to share in God's glory. He thought he should be allowed to share in God's glory. God said that he will not share his glory with another. Isaiah 42 and 8 tells us that. Yet, this is really the purpose of the entire war that we're talking about. This unseen battle is after one thing. If you were to describe the entire unseen battle in one word, It would be the word glory. So this shiny one started a campaign in heaven. He went to the angels, all the angels of heaven, and he pitched his message. He said, you know what? He shouldn't have all the glory for himself. 
we should have the glory. And when he said we should have the glory, can we get real? He really meant I should have the glory. Thank goodness our politicians are nothing like that, right? Our politicians do the exact same thing. Oh, we're in this together. And then like they're the first in the money pot, right? Gosh, there's nothing new under the sun, right? He sends this message throughout the angels in heaven. And you know what? Everyone turns him down. Nope. How many, how many go with him? Anybody know? It's not exact number. One third of all the angels went, I'm into that. I'll follow the shiny one. One third of the angels decided to follow Lucifer. One third of the angels, let's say it this way, decided that they no longer needed God. One third of the angels thought God didn't deserve all the glory. This is the danger of pride. Pride will not only mess you up, but pride can also mess up all those that are near to you. Lucifer messed up in pride, but he didn't, that mess up didn't just stop with him. It affected one third of all the heavenly hosts. You got to get pride out of your home because it'll affect your kids. It'll affect your marriage. You got to get pride out of your church. It'll affect everybody. It'll affect everybody in your church. You need to get pride out of your workplace. I'm telling you, you can improve your workplace by getting pride out of your life. 100%. Satan with his army was cast down from God's presence. And the shiny one isn't done being cast down. One day he will be cast down again. If you had to mark his trajectory from this moment, it has been down. All the way. He's cast down. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And one day he's going to fall into a pit and never come out again. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are accursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So what, what is hell for? Hell is for people that don't go to my church. Is that, is that, that is not it. No, hell is prepared for those that make me angry. No, hell is prepared not for people, but for the devil and everyone that follows him. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. They will be cast down into the lake of fire the devil, and his angels. They're no longer God's angels. It literally says his angels. Those who follow the shiny one become his. This is why Jesus warns people that their father is the devil. Do you remember when he does this? He looks at the Pharisees and he says, your father is the devil. And that really made them mad because they were Jews and they knew their lineage all the way back to Adam. And they, they were very prideful that they knew their lineage and they could brag about who their lineage was in. They'd be like, look right there, my lineage is in David. Look right there, my lineage is in Moses. Look right there, my lineage is in a high priest. Look right there, my lineage is in this great prophet. Look right there. And he says, let me tell you about your true lineage. Your father's the devil. Those were some fighting words. Those were some fighting words, and yes, the Lord did say that. 
When you follow Satan, God sees you as Satan. And you will receive the punishment of Satan. That's what hell is. This is how the battle ends. Spoiler alert. We just studied it. We looked at it. But today, you get to decide which army you will fight for. Today, you get to decide whose you are. Who is your his? <laughs> you're, you're either Satan's his or you are God's his. And I got news for you. There is nothing in between. There really is nothing in between. One way to look at it is there really are two religions. There is the true God and there is the devil. And a lot of people would not like to hear that, but that is what the word declares. And you are either his or his, and you get to decide. I want to go back to an idea I presented to you earlier, and this idea will help you answer a question, a puzzling that anyone who has ever read the first chapter of Genesis has had. So you're welcome in advance. Here it is. Genesis chapter 1, the first two verses. I know you've had a question. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So picture verse 1. Picture it. All right. You got the picture? He created heavens and the earth. Now verse 2. Is this the picture you came up with? Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. When Go back to verse 1. Does verse 1 match your picture of verse 2? These are the first two verses in our Bible. We've all read these verses. We've heard these verses. Everyone, I think, who has ever read this opening of Genesis has had questions. Shake your head if you're about right. Yeah? I'm about right? Yeah. Me too. Here is one question I have had. If God created the heavens and the earth in verse 1, why is it so messed up in verse 2? It is nothing short of chaos. In fact, one of the words in verse 2 is where we get the idea for chaos. It's formless. It's empty. And it's darkness. The creation we see described in Genesis 1 and 2 is nothing like the beautiful and good creation we see described in the rest of chapter 1. It's completely different. This creation is nothing like the loving, wonderful, and amazing recreation that we receive when God recreates us through salvation. Aren't you glad that when Jesus saves you, you aren't empty? You aren't, you aren't chaotic and formless and full of darkness. No. No, when God creates something, it's pretty. Look at somebody say, it's pretty. It's pretty, y'all. If God is not the author of confusion, if that's true in 1 Corinthians 14.33, why is the creation so confusing and chaotic in verse 2? I want to help answer a question for you. It leads me to assume. I said assume because I don't know for certain. It leads me to assume there is extra information we have not been told. Could it be that God created something in verse 1, but a sinister malefactor destroyed it, leaving it formless, empty, and dark condition. Now, I got to ask you, Redemption, who would do such 
a thing. Who would do who would take a living creation and kill it? Who would take a perfect creation and destroy it? Who would steal creation that is not their own? I got to ask you, who could it be? This is where we would have Dana Carvey dressed up like the church lady. And she would push up her glasses and she'd say, I don't know, could it be? Somebody say it with me. Satan? There it is. I present to you this idea that Eden is a teaching tool. Somehow my bass just kind of went wonky in the room. I'm not sure what's going on. Adam and Eve were in a garden of Eden, right? Genesis chapter one through three. Teaching tool. Heaven will also be a garden of Eden. Did you know this? So if you don't believe in more than one garden of Eden, let me shoot that down right now. In heaven, there's a garden of Eden. It's complete with rivers, just like the garden. It's complete with the tree of life just like the garden that's found in Revelations 22. Ezekiel 28 hints to us that Lucifer had access to the Garden of Eden, not as a serpent, but a beautiful anointed guardian cherub. The shiny one became angry with God and his unshareable glory. In his anger, he tried to kill, still, and destroy God's creation. He walked in Eden, but left it formless, empty, and dark. This is what the shiny one does with all of God's creation. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. And leave you in the same condition of Eden in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. That is his plan. That's the source of the entire battle. He wants to leave you formless and chaotic. He wants to leave you empty and void of all meaning and purpose. He wants to leave you dark and unaware of God's beauty, love, and glory and light. You tell me if I need to change microphone. Do we? We're going to do it. Testing one, two, three. We there. All right. So Eden is a teaching tool. Eden teaches us what God creates. Every time he creates Eden, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. You want to be there. Eden teaches us also what our enemy wants to do with God's creation. The unseen battle has been waged long before man drew his first breath. The battle flows from one source. From the pride and arrogance of Lucifer, it has spread to one-third of the angels. It has come to earth and destroyed Eden. It spread from Adam and Eve and had them removed from yet another Eden, and it wants to spread into your heart today. This is his game plan. It's not going to change. It's his only game plan. But do not be confused. The enemy is not after the world. He wants to destroy the world. He's not after it. The enemy is not after your heart because he wants you dead. The enemy is not after your finances or your health or any other material thing 
on earth. He wants things just to break them. He's basically that toddler in the nursery that wants what the other kids have. No, not right now. (laughs) Satan is after one thing. Here it is. It's a battle for glory. Everyone say a battle for glory. Satan asks after the glory of God from the very beginning. And it is the one thing that he can never obtain. You and I are not the focus of this battle. We are very much the collateral damage of the battle. We are the ones he strikes out at in his anger over his own defeat. Knowing what the shiny one is after gives us a tactical advantage in this unseen battle. Someone help me. What is he after? He's after glory. Everyone, what is he after? Glory. So our role in this battle is to give the enemy no glory and to give God all glory. Do you follow me? So that needs to be what we do. All right? We don't need to just say we're Christians. Most Christians... Lord, I love you, Christians, but most Christians are stand on, we don't do that, we're Christians. That's like the extent of their Christianity. We don't do that, we're Christians. That's fun, we can't do that, we're Christians. Like, I don't mean to make anybody mad, but that's a lot of Christians out there. No, that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to not give the devil any glory because we've given God all the glory. Sorry, bud, there's no glory left. It's all gone. It's been given already. You need to stand up on the word of God that declares in Isaiah 43 and 7, we are called by his name and created for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10 and 31. So whether you drink, eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Can I tell you real quick? You know what the what the eating and drinking was here? A big church argument. Big church argument. Some people said you can eat and drink this. Some people said you eat and drink that, you're going to go to hell. And they're fighting all over like this, what you can and cannot do. And, and Paul says, here's what you need to do. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Well, let's just go there. Elizabeth, you find me a church problem. The problem's root is that we have not remembered to give God glory. Mm. All that we do is for the glory of God. He gets all the glory. We serve the king of glory, Psalm 24 and 8. Shiny one, you get no glory from us because we give God all glory. Our worship gives God glory. All the glory. Our worship then is an act of war. He sees you worshiping and wishes that he could have that glory you're giving unto the Lord. Psalm 29 verse 1 and 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. I have some people that ask me, we have conversations, why, why are y'all so crazy about the name of Jesus? Why, y'all always singing about Jesus? What's that about? They don't understand the glory that is due his name. The glory that is due the name of Jesus. Ascribe to the Lord the glory 
do his name. Are there any worshipers in the room? Are there any worshipers online who refuse to give the enemy any glory, but instead give God all the glory? That's your role in this battle. Our role in the battle is to give the enemy no glory and to give God all the glory. But there is one more role. As I'm trying to draw to a close, I want to tell you our role is also to be partakers of God's glory. Now, remember, I, earlier I said, there's a scripture that says no one, he, he will not give his glory to another. Remember that? It, I told you that there's no way that the devil can get God's glory and share in his glory, but the Bible also has something to teach us. Watch this. God says clearly that he'll never share his glory with anyone. Very few are even allowed to see his glory lest they die. That's a thing in Bible. But then something wonderful happens. John chapter 1, speaking of Jesus, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of a Jewish carpenter? No, 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 no. The glory of God. The glory of God who spoke the word. The glory of God. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. When God came to earth in the flesh, he gave us all access to his glory. We have seen his glory. It says that he has made his dwelling among us. His glory dwells among us. In heaven, there will be no sun. Why? Because the lamb is the only source of light we'll need. The glorious lamb of God will give us all the light that we need. Through Jesus Christ, we don't just see His glory, we become partakers of His glory. Now listen, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13 says, But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Do you understand that when you are filled with his Holy Spirit, that he has placed a spirit of glory and it rests upon you? Do you understand that? Somewhere there's a shiny one that's kind of jealous of you. Somewhere there's a shiny one that goes, I don't have one of those. I don't have that. They've got glory. The glory of God rests on them. He kind of looks over at his onyx and goes, oh, I would trade all my onyx for that glory. I would trade all my jasper. And my, you don't, don't, you dare think he wouldn't. He would trade it all for the glory that you've been given through Jesus Christ. Somewhere there's a shiny one who desires the spirit of glory to rest on him, but you have it by the power of the Holy Spirit, not one day to come, but the moment he's given you the spirit, you've got it. First Peter chapter five, a few verse laters, to the elders among you I appeal as fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering 
who also will share in the glory to be revealed. See, a lot of people are against the suffering aspect of Christianity. We're not too wild about it, but there's glory in it. The glory of God mysteriously is revealed in suffering. The shiny one tried to take the glory, but God openly shares his glory through the sufferings of Jesus Christ. When you share in Christ's sufferings, you share, you are made partakers of God's glory. When the shiny one tries to make you suffer, doesn't he? He does not realize that it's to his own tactical disadvantage. Because when you suffer for Christ, you are made a partaker of the glory. He is actually playing in to your own victory. When he tries to make you suffer for the sake of Christ, he is only making the glory of God more apparent and revealed First Corinthians chapter three. Thank you. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 17. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. My gosh, we could take all night on this one verse. Let me break it down very quickly. We are looking up to God with unveiled faces. We are seeing Him in all of His glory through Jesus Christ. We don't have to hide it. We don't have to put a veil like they had in the tabernacle or the temple. We don't have to have somebody share, uh, you know, well, let me tell you about God so you don't know, you know, and get, and get too close to him because it could kill you. No, no, 10 feet from the mountain, do not touch uh, the Ark of the Covenant lest you die. No, with unveiled faces, we get a dose of all he is. And as we come into his image, what's the image? Who is the image? Who is the image? Jesus Christ is the image of God. When, as the more we grow into his image, the more we look like his image, the more ever-increasing glory we have. Do you see that? We are partakers of his glory. The more we are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, the more we shine with God's glory. Before this is all over, you're going to be the shining one. You're going to be shinier than Lucifer because you are going to shine with the complete glory of Jesus Christ. We have an ever-increasing glory. I'm telling you that the more you live for Jesus and the more you worship and the more you pray and the more you follow his word, even when it does not make sense, you're like, how is that even a thing? But God, I trust you. You are becoming more and more glorious. The King James Version I always like, it says, we go from glory to glory to glory. That there is always another glory in front of you. I want, I got news for you. You could have been serving the Lord for 50 years. I got to tell you, there's more glory ahead of you. Don't you give up. The, the, the most glorious story you have is not behind you. It's in front of you. Yeah. Now, let me go a little further. Some of you are stuck on one glory but God's got another glory for you. Don't just believe 
as glorious as we're believing is, why don't you repent? There's a glory in there. Let go of this glory so you come to this glory. And after you print, why don't you just go ahead and get baptized? Because that's glorious. And after you've been baptized, why don't you let the Lord overflow you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and just keep walking in glory. As long as you keep walking into the Lord, you will never run out of glory to walk into. Anybody want more of His glory in your life tonight? In a few moments, we're going to open this altar. Come talk to Him. Come and ask Him to reveal more glory to you and help you to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We are in a battle over glory. That's what it's all about. It's what it's always been about. So who wants to win the battle today? Who gets the glory today? You get to decide who gets your glory today. Who wants to give praise and honor to the King of glory as we come? And you can already come We're going to begin to worship the Lord and sing to him. As we sing, I want you to realize you are giving glory that the devil wants so badly. But you're saying, excuse me, this is earmarked for the Lord alone. Who wants to grow in ever-increasing glory in the image of Jesus Christ today? Come, let's do it. If you want special prayer in this place, I want you to come in the first two feet. I want to pray with you. I believe that God can answer any prayer. I believe he can work a miracle in your life. We want to pray with you. But Lord, let's reach out to the Lord right now. about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.